Talking Real Estate with Maples Teasdale, the law firm where real estate really matters. Hello and welcome to Talking Real Estate with Maples Teasdale. I'm James Cox and I'm one of the associates in the firm's commercial property team. Our conversation today is the life of an asset manager with a particular focus on working within the industrial and logistics sector. Today we will consider how to get into the industry, what the role of an asset manager involves in practice, and predictions for how the role and sector will change in the future. I'm joined by two members of the Chancery Gate Asset Manager team, George Jerram and Stuart McGill. George joined Chancery Gate as an asset manager in 2019 and is based in Chancery Gate's London office. And Stuart joined Chancery Gate in July 2021 as an asset manager in the company's Northwest office. Stuart, can you start by telling us about your career path so far and what attracted you to a career as an asset manager? Hi, James. Having studied real estate management at university, I went down the fairly traditional APC routes and qualified as a chartered surveyor in 2009. I initially started as a property manager and was reporting into the likes of George and I. So I had a reasonable idea what the role involved and thought it was something I'd like to move on to do myself. Previously, a lot of the day jobs seemed to be reactive, uh, whereas now it's nice to be able to have a strategy and work proactively and make positive changes that are directing adding value to an asset or a portfolio. Yeah, I'm sure that sounds like a much more enjoyable way of living. And George, what was your path to Chancery Gate? Similar to Stuart's in some respect. I mean, originally I wanted to study history at university and then realised I didn't think history was going to lead to anything other than being a history teacher. Came out of a university in a recession, so there wasn't a huge amount going. So started as an estate agent in 2009 and then sort of got in through the back door of Colliers doing what was known as investment property management, which was effectively property management with a little bit of asset management alongside that. And then once I qualified and got my APC, the RITS qualification in 2012, I then managed to move across to what we would consider client side, where we were obviously instructing the big advisory firms on projects and got into asset management at a company called Square Meter Properties. And then, yeah, spent a very good five years there doing all things asset management across the three main sectors, also focusing on the, the acquisition and disposal side. And then, uh, yeah, joined Chancery Gate just over three years ago to focus predominantly on industrial. And uh, that's where we are today. Sounds like an interesting career so far. Stuart, the next obvious question is whether you have any tips for anyone looking to get into asset management or if there's anything you wish you'd known before you'd started your career in property. Personally, and I might be slightly swayed given my property management background uh, that was quite hands-on, I suppose, is that you really need to be able to work closely with the guys on the ground on the property, so that's the tenants and understand their, their businesses. Getting out there and meeting the occupiers you're trying to do a deal with will go a long way rather than hide it behind emails or calls, which I, I suppose a lot of people are doing more so now during COVID or wording. So it's good to get out on the road again now. All too often we're seen as the big bad landlord with infinite amount of money and with one agenda. So I find building a good rapport from the outset and having a genuine interest really helps to win their tenants over, whether that be on a lease renewal rent review or just trying to get you know whatever the next deal is yeah i'm sure tenants are always scared of big bad landlords george do you have a view as to whether you must be a qualified surveyor in order to become an asset manager or are there any other routes that can be taken i've seen from experience of some of the younger guys coming into the industry now that you don't necessarily need to have it and the key is experience when it comes to work experience so you can go through a more apprenticeship route to getting into asset management. So I wouldn't say it's essential. The whole qualified thing is merely a stepping stone to moving on to better things, I would say, but it does give you a basis of knowledge in the property industry. So 
it's an important thing to go through. It is rather time consuming and, and some of it is often quite irrelevant to what you actually want to focus on. But I wouldn't say it's essential to do to become an asset manager, but an asset manager covers a broad range of things and um, it's useful, but it's not the be all end all. Stuart, from your perspective, what skills and qualities does someone need to be a successful asset manager? I don't think what we do is particularly rocket science. It's about considering and exploring the options available for each scenario and at the property, take advice from the different advisors we use uh, in order to be able to make an educated decision. For example, we're not expected to have a good understanding of every market across the country, whatever town or village or city that may be in, uh, but knowing who to ask, when to ask, just allows us to compile that information and then ultimately run the numbers. Uh, so in answer to your question, I suppose it's important to be able to communicate well um, and not be afraid to ask for help and not be too blinking in your approach to a problem also, which hopefully will turn into an opportunity. Definitely. I think they're lessons we can all learn in all of our careers as well. George, from your experience, what are the main day-to-day -day tasks in the life of an asset manager? It varies, which is, is obviously a good thing in many respects because it keeps you on your toes. Generally speaking, being an asset manager is, is all about maintaining and adding value where you can and looking for opportunities wherever you can to do that. We at Charge to Gate have a, a few funds under management. So a lot of those are obviously financed by institutions. So there's elements of reporting required, mostly on a quarterly basis, sometimes monthly. So the reporting element is important. Alongside that, it's important to actually see the physical assets as much as you feasibly can. So it's about going out and seeing these properties, establishing what opportunities you can probably garner from them and meeting your tenants. Now, obviously, we have property managers on a day to day basis who deal with the grunt work and the day to day management. You know, COVID told us a lot of things. And, and one of those was about, you know, having a strong relationship between a landlord and a tenant. And there's nothing better than obviously subject to uh, restrictions, uh, meeting these people face to face, understanding their requirements and, you know, maintaining and improving those relations, because that will only lead to, you know, hopefully more security and more income in the long run for these properties. As Stuart's probably sort of already touched on, our role is a sort of jack of all trade, masters of none in some respects. There's reporting, there's key, there's, there's maintaining those relationships with tenants, and it's looking to add value where you can. And that changes on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I can imagine one of the most interesting things is, yeah, your job's a little bit different every single day. Leading on from your explanation of what keeps you busy day-to-day, -day, George, do you think there are any key differences between the work of an asset manager for different asset portfolios, such as industrial, retail and office portfolios? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they particularly have been highlighted over the last couple of years have been very, very different. As you well know, and, and some of your listeners will know, Chancery Gate is, is predominantly industrial, but we do have a, a bit of retail and offices within a couple of our portfolios. So industrial, it's very much been over the last couple of years, particularly, it's a landlord friendly sector. So rents have been only going one way void periods, likewise. So we're very much in a strong position to dictate, not say dictate terms, but come at it on the front foot when it comes to negotiating terms with tenants on renewals, regears, rent reviews, and obviously uh, open market lettings. When you compare that, I suppose, to offices and retail, it's a completely different situation. We do have an office, for example, in the centre of London. We refurbished going on for 18 months ago now, and we still haven't got anyone to take the unit. So that just highlights the chalk and cheese nature of the differences alongside that retail you know with everyone closing up during covid times it was a, an exercise in damage limitations so i think it, it does vary i think that the, the other traditional sectors in retail and office are starting to come back more the whole sort of 
landscape of these sectors has changed sort of fundamentally overnight a couple of years ago. So they do very much differ. But I think industrial, whilst it's seen exponential growth in the last sort of two, three years, there will come a time where that does change. You know, we may not be that far away, but it's impossible to say when that will take place. In short, the three main sectors offer differing uh, challenges, I would say, with industrial definitely uh, the easier of the three when it comes to a landlord. Yeah, definitely. And as you said earlier, it's always about the relationships between landlord and tenant and keeping those as strong as possible for when you do enter those darker times. Stuart, in your role now, is there anything in particular that you look for in an asset? I uh, think if you'd asked me this question a few years ago, the answer would have been slightly different. Uh, and probably along the lines of sort of obviously location, 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 length, lease, tenant covenant strength. Obviously, whilst those are still the most important key things we look at, as the market, or particularly the industrial market, has strengthened and the numbers become tighter, it's become a more important look beyond that and at alternative angles, whether that be secondary assets in need of relatively straightforward capex investments, or perhaps ones that present other opportunities or conversion opportunities, taking a bigger unit, you know, turning it into lots of smaller units to increase the overall rent, for example. Ultimately, it's down to what the investor objectives are and the returns they're looking to achieve. Yeah, that's true. We always have to go where the money's going, don't we? But that's interesting to hear how your perspective's changed in the last few years. George, given the market's current focus on ESG, I was wondering if you have found that this has impacted the way that you work or whether there are any preemptive measures that you are implementing across the portfolio you manage? Yeah, I mean, as you said, it's become much more prevalent. Something that we've recently highlighted is obviously the energy efficiency of buildings. And we've seen in our domestic lives how the cost of energy is going up and we need to be become more efficient when it comes to its usage. So one thing that we're doing at the moment is we're running an exercise on a couple of properties, for example, to look at how we can make them more energy efficient in the future. The EPC legislation is due to change towards the end of the decade, and it needs that they have to be a minimum of a, a B grade by 2030 with some exemptions. Now, that legislation could, of course, change. However, we're likely to think that investment values and subsequent the ability to trade some of these properties will start to become more difficult because of the quality of the assets and how energy efficient they are. I only think it's going to become more and more important in the years to come. And I think a lot of people, a lot of funds having spoken to property managers and experts in environmental, is that a lot of people continue to kick the can down the road and not to worry about these things. And then suddenly the chances are they quickly realise that, you know, ESG is something that we need to focus on now. So we're trying to get ahead of the curve on uh, a lot of these properties to make them more efficient. And yeah, as I say, it's something that becomes more and more relevant on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, definitely. In order to um, improve these properties, are you focusing on the type of assets you purchase in already being compliant? Or are there sort of works that you're affecting across the portfolio on assets that aren't, say, up to scratch at the moment? I think it's both. I think it's only becoming more and more important that we focus on it when we look at investments. For example, you know, you receive your data site invite, you receive all the necessary information. And if a few of the properties highlighted are, say, F-rated or, or even worse, for example, you're going to say, well, actually, that's not good enough. Something needs to be done about that. Or we need to have a price reduction to reflect the cost to improve these buildings. So we are definitely looking at that from an investment perspective. I don't think it was necessarily our main focus over the last couple of years, but we definitely are moving in that direction. But at the same time, as, as I said, it's it's something that we're looking at on the buildings we own because... 
a lot of them we will be preparing to sell them in the in the coming years and we want to make them as attractive as possible so it's key that we do that with enough wiggle room and enough time to spread the cost of any works that need to be done yeah definitely these things always take a lot longer than you expect Stuart, another key change that's happened across the market following the initial stages of the pandemic is a move to turnover rents for retail assets. Is this a change you expect to see in the industrial logistics market in the near future, or do you not think it's really applicable? Quite a short answer to this, James. I don't think they've quite filtered their way over to the industrial market yet. That's not to say it won't happen. And no doubt some tenants, depending on their businesses, will try. But as a landlord, we'd generally be more comfortable knowing where we stand uh, and what income is forecast for the coming month and quarter uh, or years. And apart from anything else, nobody really likes having to calculate turnover rents. Yeah, I can confirm on a legal side, we're happy to keep it simple as well. Absolutely. So it's not something that you've had in your request from any tenants on so far, just sticking to retail for now in your experience? Only from retail from my experience, James. I'm not sure if George has come across any. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I have an industrial. I mean, I would say that given the way that the industrial rents have been going, occupiers have been doing better for themselves. So I struggle to see how they want turnover rents because it's only going to mean they're probably going to end up paying even more rent. And I'd say it's very much something that's still interlinked with retail. But who's to say that it doesn't change in the coming months and years? Yeah, definitely. A lot of things we wouldn't have expected have happened in the last few years, haven't they? George, given that you now have over 10 years experience in the property industry, what are the key changes that you've noted in the market since you first started? Everything's a lot more expensive, in short. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as I think I, I touched on one of your earlier questions, James, I started in this industry in a recession where the cost of capital was fairly excessive. The banks were obviously in a very different position than they are now. There simply wasn't a huge amount being traded. We move on over the next few years to where we are today. And generally speaking, everything's only really gone one way, with the exception of a few bumps in the road, be it Brexit and the pandemic. So I've only really seen growth since, you know, from, from a very low base 10 years ago in the industry with very little issues. I think obviously that that, that is likely to change with the impact on supply, um, with, you know, what's going on in, in Ukraine and obviously the continued issues with COVID and the supply chain linked to that as well. So it's good to have come from a base of a fairly uh, rubbish start when it came to the condition of the property market, generally speaking, in the UK back in 2009, 2010. But like most things, they go in cycles and they will reach a point, probably in, in the set that we focus on industrial more than any, where occupiers can't afford to pay any more in the rents and yields will stop shrinking because returns can be generated elsewhere in, in other sort of commodities that people are looking at from investments. So the more experienced Stuart and I become, the more you see and the more you understand that, uh, yeah, things can change overnight, but you uh, you can't count your chickens, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. There's a balance between being prepared and being realistic. As we look forward to the new financial year, do either of you have any predictions or hopes for the industrial and logistics space? Stuart? Oh, I suppose that's the uh, the million dollar question. Um, and, and George just started to touch on it then. It's a competitive market. There's no doubt about it. And it's one I'm still confident of. But I suspect we'll start to see it level off at some point. It has to. It couldn't carry on rising at which the rate it has over the last number of years. I suspect it will slow down a little, but hopefully from our side, it will keep doing very well. You know, that said, there's still a lot of demand out there for both tenants and from an investor's perspective, trying to get hold of quality stock. George and I are constantly on the lookout for what assets are coming through. Um, and there's not been a huge amount recently and we are still in the market for. So watch this space. 
And George, what are your predictions and hopes for the sector in the next financial year? Yeah, I think we've sort of given an idea through this podcast, touched on a few of them already. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be pretty volatile. I think it's going to be up and down. I think the cost of capital is going to increase. We look at a sort of the domestic market and I'm in the process of trying to buy a house and seeing mortgages increase on a you know monthly basis. So I think the cost of capital is going to have an influence, but there's, there is a lot of money swilling about in the industry still and the returns can still be generated. So I think the occupier market will slow down probably towards the end of the year, but we're seeing, you know, huge uh, increases in rent on reviews and, and, and lease renewals with tenants. And yeah, as I said, there will come a point where it, it can't go on any longer. Other sectors will see a bit of a bounce back. I think particularly retail and probably linked into that retail warehousing seems to be seeing a bit more of interest when it comes to investment. So I think a, a few people will switch to that sector and maybe some more alternative sectors, be it leisure or possibly office. But I think office has probably got a long way to go still from an investment perspective. But there is, as I said, there's still a lot of money about, be it internationally or, or, or within the UK, that needs to spend. With the interest rate still you know, predominantly pretty low, property is still an attractive uh, commodity to purchase. And with all that money out there and not a lot of stock being traded, it still means that prices seem to only go one way. So I think it will slow down because I think last year was pretty ridiculous year um, when it came to investment transactions. But yeah, unless money becomes incredibly expensive to borrow, I, I still think it will be seen as a land or market. Thanks to both of you for your time today and for sharing your ideas and experience with us. I'm sure there are lots of listeners who will find your advice and information very useful. Thanks, James. Thank you, James. Thank you for listening to Talking Real Estate with Maples Teasdale. I hope you'll be able to join us again next time. Talking Real Estate with Maples Teasdale, the law firm where real estate really matters.